Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Andrea Casada! Yay! And we've got a great episode for you. It's, um... <laughs> a real trip. Yeah, that is actually the best way to sum it up. Uh, but before we get into it, I got a couple, uh, some news and some reviews. <laughs> The news is, is that we have a Patreon. Hooray! Whoa. Yeah. What? Mind Never blowing. Heard of it? Um, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/CultPodcast for just five dollars a month. You get access to our bonus show, The Speculation Zone, and we have a bunch of other really cool tiers too that you can check out on Patreon.com/slash/CultPodcast. Uh, and then before we get into it, we have another five-star review. Bow, bow, bow. Uh, this one comes to us from Coltier. Oh, Coltier. That's probably what they're trying to say. Um, they say, I love, love, love this podcast, but if we're being honest, I'm patiently waiting for an episode devoted to Mr. West and the Sunday service. Have y'all seen the outfits everyone has to wear? Jonestown vibes. Anyways, who would have guessed that the pink polo college dropout rapper from Chicago would one day be a MAGA cult leader in Calabasas? Yeah. And their pancake breakfast breakfast suck. Oh yeah. God, man, worse than Firefest. I know. Um, so yeah, I think without any further ado, let's get into the show. Hello. 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 Don't drink the For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always... These are our opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have Andre Casetta. Yay! And we're stuck inside. It's been a very eventful week. Um Paige has told has talked nonstop for the last twenty minutes about a YouTube butt. Yeah, yeah. Uh I I'm watching too many bread videos and Joshua Wiseman's butt can get it, I guess. Oh yeah. He got buns, huh? He got buns, huns, walking around with Baker's dozen. It's you know <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty great. He's a thick boy. It's all I've been doing is is baking bread, researching more breads to mm-hmm. bake, and then working at my day job and I'm slowly losing it. <laughs> Speaking of losing it, Andrea and I spent an entire day. Well, we spent an entire morning making our own pot brownies. And then uh, we spent the entire rest of the day high out of our minds because it turns out that the weed was way better than advertised. Mm. Um, I saw God. Uh, Andrea was t- told me at, at, I believe, 5 p.m. She told me that she was sure she was going to die because she couldn't finish her bowl of Fruit Loops. You know <laughs> how Fruit Loops lead to an existential crisis. <laughs> I, I Every ate time. like four bowls of Fruit Loops this morning. Oh, man, Just because I, so I love Fruit Loops. Pretty good, yeah. Um, I thought it was very funny that you were talking about making the pot brownies and you're like, yeah, we had to wait for like three whole hours. And in my mind, I'm like, 
So it's a 16-hour rise on the break. Bagels <laughs> for later, and then the ciabatta will be a day. <laughs> yeah, I I realize that's why I don't love uh, baking as much is because there's so much, like, forethought that goes into it. Yeah, you kind of got to plan it out. That's why I'm doing it now. Yeah, exactly. You're getting great at it. I, I'm just doing cooking, which is just like, oh, we're ran out? I guess we'll throw something else in. <laughs> just really got to figure it out on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um so it's my week this week. Mm-hmm, nice. uh, I'm very excited. Uh, part of me losing my mind led me to researching the person that we're going to talk about today, actually. Have they open hand slapped <laughs> any <laughs> elephants or UFOs? Honestly, I swear to God, I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> and that'll make a lot more sense here in a second. Did they feed their significant other to a tiger i now i can't prove that okay 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 but they have had some significant others that are i would say more than notable mm. um what are their famous even what what are their sardine oil purchasing orders like? yes yes again i wouldn't be surprised if it was a <laughs> lot <laughs> Um, whenever we're researching for an episode, we have a tendency to fall down rabbit holes on the internet. Yes. It happens all the time. Sometimes it's for a joke, like when, uh, when we found the Bundy family erotic fan fiction. (laughs) Great one. Um, sometimes it's to add more context, like needlessly explaining the entire history of Chicago. Um, but once in a while, I did that for the Latin King. Yeah. Sometimes it's to find out, uh, proportions for a sourdough starter. And then you try to see how many times they've cut away to somebody's butt in mm, videos. Mm, mm. Nice it, butt though. Nice one. Research. Yes. But every once in a while we stumble upon something that is so batshit crazy that a few minutes of coverage just won't cut it. <laughs> And today is one of those days. <laughs> Originally, we were going to cover a man nicknamed the East Coast's Charles Manson. Ooh. But while I was reading about him, I stumbled across another man who paved the way for him just a few years earlier. Timothy Leary has done many things during his life. He was a scholar, a psychologist, and a lecturer at Harvard University. But that's not the whole story, not even by a long shot. He was also a convicted drug trafficker with ties to arm dealers. He was friends with the actual Charles Manson. Mm -hmm. And President Richard Nixon once called him the most dangerous man in America. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the weirder parts of his life. The time that he almost became a full-on cult leader. Yes! So in the words of Timothy Leary himself, turn on, tune in. And drop out. Yay! This oh is my be god. Awesome. Yes. Uh, we've got several sources for today's episode. First is the 1971 Rolling Stones article on the Lyman family by David Felton. Then we have the 1996 New York Times article on Timothy Leary by Laura Manzaris. And then we have the book Storming Heaven by Jay Stevens, which is a fantastic book. Highly recommend it. Has a lot to do with uh, drug trips and God in general, not just about um, not just about Timothy, but in general. And then we have the book Flashbacks by Timothy Leary, also a fantastic book because the man is fucking insane. Then we have the Leary family tree as documented by Tim Dowling. Uh, we also have a YouTube video on Timothy Leary by the channel Biographics. And finally, we have a photo essay printed in Time Magazine by Robert Gordon Wasson. And also, we have those pot brownies from earlier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did that for research. 
so obviously you know a little bit uh or probably a lot of bit on who timothy leary is yes but mostly from when i was researching charles manson he didn't end up playing as much of a role in in our manson episodes Mm -hmm. but he definitely knew him and was definitely around at the same time yes he he very much so was a contemporary and like i said a little bit of a spoiler but they do become friends later on in their life which is mostly because of acid yeah um but uh andrea as far as i know you don't know who timothy leary is not really okay well that's gonna be uh really interesting he's got a fucking crazy story and i'm sure that most of the stuff in this episode is stuff you guys probably both don't know and hopefully that most people don't know nice um most of us again at least i hope don't know much about the night that we were conceived But for Timothy Leary, that definitely wasn't the case. His parents met, fucked, and went their separate ways on January 16th, 1920, the night before Prohibition went into effect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like being born nine months after 420, and you're just like, oh, is that why? I'm I'm born nine months after Valentine's Day. Sick, dude. That's romantic. So is my sister. Oh. We were thanks. My brother and I are both Thanksgiving holiday babies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why we both have August birthdays. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing says horny like stuffing. Oh my God, stuffing. It's in the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah stuffing yeah, yeah. at your mom's house. That's mm. what really gets it in. Mm. Oh, we could talk to your parents or make a baby. <laughs> Across the country, everyone from casual drinkers to the professional drunks were sending their old friend alcohol off with a bang. And one of these last hurrahs was held at the Officers Club of the West Point Army Base in New York. However, much like Prohibition itself, January 16th also produced some unintended consequences. (laughs) I'd be interested to learn how many people. Oh, yeah have like that same birthday nine months later yeah (laughs) like that'd be really really just like everyone who thinks that there's gonna be just like a swath of corona babies Mm -hmm. like yeah i mean there is supposedly going to be a condom shortage because they need the latex for gloves interesting and it was one of those things where i was like oh maybe people were right do you think we'll get an official announcement from our president advising us all to pull out? Because I feel, <laughs> I feel like that's going to happen. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's true that pregnant women have reduced immunity. So, like, for your oh. own safety, maybe yeah. consider pulling out in the safety of your partners. A few weeks after their last legal rager, Abigail Ferris walked into the office of Dr. Leary, the army base's dentist, to tell him that he was going to be a daddy. (laughs) And it turns out that Abigail and Dr. Leary had a lot more in common than they first thought. They were both raised Irish Catholic, uh, they both came from Springfield, Massachusetts, and both of their families thought they were making a huge mistake. (laughs) Although... Each family had different reasons as to why. I mean, I wouldn't say the veneers are a mistake. They're an investment for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Tote Leary, who is the inventor of the modern tote bag. (laughs) That's not real. No, that's not real. It's because he was the first person to say totes instead of totally. I was going to say, yeah. (laughs) No, it's it's because he's that one character named Toad in Indiana Jones that burns his hand and then his face melts. That was his dad. The face melting had nothing to do with the acid and everything to do with the Ark of the Covenant. You know what stood up, though? Those teeth. Damn good teeth. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Dr. Tote Leary was a Springfield Leary. 
Now, this doesn't really mean anything to us now, but back in the Roaring Twenties, the Springfield Learys were well known as one of the richest Irish Catholic families in Western Massachusetts. There's a there's a lot of asterisks on that richness. I was gonna say, how many potatoes did they have? <laughs> a whole godful. Um, <laughs> And the family owed it all to Dr. Leary's dad, a man by the name of Dennis Leary. <laughs> I know this. I know I this is real. I love yeah. human rescue. I was, just, I was like, fantastic work. I actually, okay, so I, I shit you not, about three hours of my life were spent trying to track down, because eventually I found out they're from Springfield, Massachusetts, Dennis Leary is from Worcester or Worcester, Massachusetts, about an hour away. And so I started like doing the math and looking at it and I shit you not, there is a distinct possibility that Dennis Leary the from actor. Rescue Me yeah. is related to Timothy Leary. Wow. There is a possibility. Also, I don't know if you guys know this Dennis Leary, the actor, related to Conan O'Brien. That I mean, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. <laughs> so that's you know, it could get weirder. And while modern-day Dennis Leary made his nut voicing a saber-toothed tiger in the Green Goblin, this Dennis Leary made his money from a few choice real estate deals back in the late 1800s. But now he was getting old, and as the head of the family, it was time to start thinking about who would inherit the great Springfield Leary fortune. Dennis Leary, much like any character played by the actor Dennis Leary. <laughs> God damn it, that's going to get so this confusing. This is so confusing. He was fucking insane. <laughs> um, his nickname around Springfield was Old Man Leary, which is, that's what I'm going to call him from now on to help differentiate between Dennis Leary and Dennis Leary. <laughs> but also, do you know how eccentric you have to be to get the nickname Old Man? That's, they don't, ha okay, like Mr. Torres is a small business owner. Old Man Torres keeps business owners in his basement in a maze he made himself. Right, right. Like, like Mr. Kenobi is just the normal guy at the mm -hmm. office. Old Man Kenobi lives in a weird cave on Tatooine. Just <laughs> Those are the Tusken Raiders. I love that Old Man is just like something that you give people when you don't want to admit that people have mental illnesses. Like, they're just like, ah, he's old. It's like, oh, I yeah. think he's troubled. Yeah, I mean, we should start applying it to Clint Eastwood, definitely, but I think that's yeah. a different conversation. <laughs> you guys see old man Trump recently? <laughs> and psychopath? Anyway, but the only thing old man Leary cared about more than money and property was preserving his family name. He knew that his kids were just waiting for him to fucking die. Each of his eight children secretly hoped that they were their father's favorite, and he used this to his advantage anytime one of them did anything that could tarnish the family's reputation. Like a few years back, his daughter Sarah had married a fellow from New York City, so old man Leary paid for their honeymoon to Paris, where a team of lawyers were waiting to legally divorce them. Oh, man. What? Then his Wait. other daughter, Frances, got hitched to a man from Kansas City, Old Man Leary hired a bounty hunter to track her down and bring her home by train. So he's a crazy person. He's Old Man Goddamn Leary. Someday <laughs> father will die and I'll get the money. Yeah, it's when I said the phrase like all those kids are fucking waiting for him to die and you guys were like, wow, shitty kids. Shitty everyone. <laughs> they all, they're so shitty. They all suck so bad. 
the message was clear. In old man Leary's mind, the worst thing that you could do was to marry a poor person. <laughs> I think I have to leave. <laughs> Oops, turns out I'm the devil. <laughs> Whoopsies. In Springfield, Massachusetts, no one was poorer than the Ferris family. Abigail Ferris came from a long line of dirt farmers that lived on the outskirts of town. And while the Learys were rich, fun-loving, and self-obsessed, the Ferrises were literally dirt poor, Catholic as fuck, and wanted nothing more than a traditional family life. In the Ferris family, Old Man Leary's counterpart was a woman named Aunt Doodoo. Call me Doodoo. <laughs> and when Abigail Ferris came home to tell her sister Doodoo the good news... She wasn't impressed at all. She was like, I've been growing the best dirt in Springfield <laughs> for years. That and man... you bring me this doo-doo, I mean shit. <laughs> that man ain't shit. And trust me, Aunt Doodoo's an <laughs> expert. <laughs> when Abigail Ferris came home to tell her sister Doodoo the good news, she wasn't impressed at all. It didn't matter how rich her new in-laws were. To her, the Learys were a bunch of godless heathens who got fancy French divorces and hired bounty hunters <laughs> as babysitters. Not not untrue. No, oh, she's got yeah. kind of a she's point. She's got a point. Fancy French divorces. <laughs> <laughs> it's where you like put a little bit of extra garlic and butter on it mm -hmm. and then super fancy cheese and then you just eat it on a tiny slice of baguette this what is so good what is a divorce but just a white flag for marriage <laughs> <laughs> that's what the french are the best at. Jesus. that was pretty good from back court dude and despite uh -huh. what <laughs> i'm sorry and despite what their families said, Abigail and Dr. Leary moved back home to Springfield, married sometime in April, and welcomed their first and only child, Timothy Leary, to the world on October 22nd, 1920. Uh, unfortunately for them, their families were right, and they were a terrible couple. Dr. Tote Leary quickly realized that the family life, totes, wasn't for him. And that's, <laughs> that's actually a direct quote. That's the first time he said that. <laughs> Abigail assumed being married to a rich dentist would be a dream come true, but Dr. Leary was more like an old school dentist, you know, doing cocaine and drinking whiskey all the time. <laughs> That's sweet, sweet laudanum, brother. <laughs> he would regularly get back from work late, drunk, and all out of money from a poker game he had stopped by on the way home. They also had different ideas about how Timothy should be raised. Abigail thought childhood should revolve around Catholicism, hard work, and respect. Dr. Leary really didn't give a shit. Uh, he'd just give his son a small wad of bills and left him in charge of finding his own fun. That's... Is, uh, give, give daddy a drink. Lay a little Timothy. I'm going to tell you this right now. I want you to go out. I want you to have fun. But if you go too far, I'm going to send Django fat on your ass. All right? <laughs> you just ask your Aunt Sarah, you son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in fact... The only reason that Dr. Leary seemed to stick around at all was because he believed that once old man Leary kicked the bucket, he'd finally inherit his family's fortune. But that dream came crashing down in 1934 when Timothy was only 14 years old. The Springfield Learys had lived a good life their whole lives. 
anything they wanted, at least anything that could be bought, was theirs the moment they asked for it. And they were also the type of people who believed that any problem could be solved with money. But after years of handouts from daddy, fancy French divorces, and bounty hunter babysitters, they had completely depleted their family's fortune. Oh no. In 1934, old man Leary passed away and left his children what he had. $100 each. Whoa! <laughs> and also, just so you know, after calculating for inflation, that is still only $1,300. <laughs> That's it. Angry and disillusioned, Dr. Leary abandoned his family and re-enlisted in the military, uh, although this time it wasn't as a dentist. Determined to get as far away from them as possible, he became a merchant marine sailing across the world and searching for his own version of happiness. Now, you might be asking yourself, why did I just pitch you this weird CW original series? <laughs> and also, when does it air? Because I cannot wait. Oh, my God. Who's going to play Doo-Doo? Do you think Dame Judi Dench is too old? <laughs> if we don't get Dennis Leary to play Dennis Leary, I'm going to be so fucking mad. How did I not get this? <laughs> this stuff is important because it completely shaped who Timothy Leary would become. To us, it's clear that Dr. Leary was a very, very bad daddy, but Timothy had different thoughts about his father. Here is a quote from Timothy's autobiography, Flashbacks. Quote, During the 13 years we lived together, my father never stunted me with expectations. Dad remained for me a model of the loner, a disdainer of the conventional way. Tote dropped out, followed the ancient Hiberian practice of getting in the wind, escaping the priest-run village, and heading for the far-off land, like one of the wild geese of Irish legend. End quote. <laughs> geese are some of the worst animals. I don't know why you would... Well, yeah, he's one of the worst their dads. <laughs> <laughs> their mouths? Is yeah, that what you said? Google a goose's mouth. What does it look They're like? Mean. Google it. Oh, God. It's terrifying. They look like aliens. Yes. Yes, they do. Oh, my God. Why aren't we killing geese more? I know. Oh, I don't like it. This is how you know they used to be dinosaurs. Yeah. Canada can keep them. Yeah. Thank <laughs> Yeah. Gah. So, after his father left to become a seaman filled with semen, Timothy... <laughs> I, don't see, I don't see what I did wrong. <laughs> Timothy was forced to spend the rest of his childhood living with his mother's side of the family on Aunt Doodoo's dirt farm, which is so on the nose, it's like God just found out about poop jokes. <laughs> <laughs> but even after finding out that both sides of his family were dirt poor, he still fancied himself a Springfield Leary. Ooh, fancy boy. His classmates described him as a character written by Scott Fitzgerald himself. Cool, suave, and full of charm, Timothy was very popular in high school, especially with the ladies. He was actually voted cutest boy by his classmates, and his senior quote was, Sign no more, ladies. Sign no more. Damn, do you have pictures? I do. I can get you a picture here. He is- a... I need to evaluate his his cuteness. What are his bread-making videos like, though? What's his butt like? <laughs> Uh, I am asking about his buns. He's stacking them buns. His butt is actually just two geese. It's very... (laughs) No, no, God, no. And just the mouth part. It's upsetting. It honks when you squeeze it. (laughs) (laughs) Honk, Jesus, honk. 
But while he may have been killing it with his peers, the staff of the high school didn't feel the same way about Timothy. Uh, he was constantly cutting class, skipping school, and daring the principal to expel him. In fact, according to his classmates, the only reason he wasn't kicked out was because of how much paperwork it took to expel a non-delinquent juvenile. That sounds about right. Mm-hmm. This sounds like something you would do. It sounds exactly like what I did do, honestly. <laughs> Sometimes I used to skip first period and just go to Starbucks. Yeah. Man, I wish I could skip all my periods. <laughs> There's a way. <laughs> oh, no. The price is, is steep, though. <laughs> Take you like 18 years to pay it off. <laughs> but think of all the Starbucks. <laughs> Um, while he didn't get kicked out of school, his antics cost him much-needed scholarships to get into any Ivy League schools. Instead, his mom pulled some strings and got him accepted into the only school that would take him, the Jesuit-run university, Holy Cross College. Timothy started attending Holy Cross in 1938 when he was 18 years old, and he learned a lot while he was there. Just not really from his teachers. Instead, he learned the best route to the women's dorm rooms. Oh, no. He learned how to water down communion wine so he wouldn't be caught stealing. And he even learned how to run a sophisticated underground gambling ring and was hosting poker games every single night. Classic kid. Chip off the old block, it seems. <laughs> yeah. Really, the only thing that he learned from his actual teachers was that Catholicism was stupid and that religion wasn't for him. After about a year, the 19-year-old Timothy decided to abandon Holy Cross and to follow in his father's footsteps by becoming an officer at the West Point Army Base. His military life went about as well as you would expect. Yeah, he doesn't sound like a dude that's into discipline. No. Yeah, or authority at all. Or regimented mm -hmm. lifestyles. And you guys got women in poker here? I think this is a thing that we see a lot where people who wind up running cults, they're narcissists. So they think they want to be a part of something big, but they don't really want to be a part of something big. They want to be in charge of something big. But without doing any of the work to maintain something big. Yes. Exactly. And so like joining the military seems like a shortcut. And then they want them not to be very good at it because they don't want to follow orders. They want to be in charge. Exactly. His deep disdain for authority ruffled a lot of feathers, hopefully goose feathers. And... <laughs> And after only a few months, he was court-martialed for being drunk and also lying about being drunk, which somehow oh. is worse than being drunk as far as the army is concerned. Ne I mean, it's never a convincing lie. No, not at all. <laughs> I'm not peeing off the side of a boat. You're peeing off the side of a boat. I didn't drink. What happened is I was here minding my own business and a fucking goose wouldn't be even believe it. He came up and he forced me to drink this entire handle. It's crazy. <laughs> Son, if you rustle feathers around here, you go down. <laughs> I only That's pretty good. Down. I, I only had fourteen beers, just a small sip of beer. I lied. I had fifteen beers. <laughs> Son, I'm the officer. <laughs> So he was forced to resign from West Point Academy and decided to try something new. A little while after he resigned, Timothy discovered a book that would change his life forever. James Joyce's Ulysses. So I didn't have to read Ulysses. In fact, I think you both would be surprised at the books that I wasn't forced to read. I've read 
I've read portions of Ulysses both for this and prior to this, but Ulysses, to boil it down to a very, very, very simple point, um, it is a story about two men that are looking for paternity. One is looking for a father figure and the other one is looking for a son that is the easiest way to kind of boil it down although that doesn't even really do it justice that much um but when you see that the story is kind of about somebody trying to find the ideal father figure it's probably not hard to see why timothy leary fell in love with the book so hard uh, but Ulysses also contains a few deeper themes, too, like how a sinner can become a good person, not through religion, but by having remorse and learning from past mistakes, or how no story can be fully understood by examining just one perspective. To put it very simply, this book is a fucking trip. It's, it is James Joyce's pretty much most famous book. Mm-hmm. It's like the one. If you're only going to read one James Joyce book, is very long. Timothy Leary described it as an arduous process, yeah. um, but it is very good. And I also read a Cliff Notes version of it while studying for this, and I kind of want to read the actual book itself. It's, it's a good very book. interesting. Yeah. Well, Ulysses is Odysseus, right? Completely different. This is he titles it Ulysses, yeah. but this is not that story. There's a lot of comparisons where this one takes place in Dublin, and every episode of this book is meant to mirror Odyssey, uh, the, the Odyssey. The Odyssey. But it's 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 different in many ways you could argue that the odyssey also deals with themes of paternity as well Mm -hmm. as odysseus is trying to get back home to his son who has grown from a child into a full adult by the time he gets home yeah i will say too like another james joyce theme a lot of the time is like not irish like nationalism but irish culture too and like having their own language and yeah yeah because this is the time when england still rules them Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm unrelated catcher in the rye take it or leave it lord of the flies is actually really good. i like lord of the flies i like lord of the I flies haven't, later i haven't seen lord of the flies but one time a teacher tried to force me to read it and i did convince all of my students to uprise and kill him so there was that <laughs> he was also holding the head of a pig it's mm-hmm. like weird it's a yeah, whole thing that's what happens when anyone tries me to get to read a damn bold book <laughs> i didn't read it but i do have this conch um <laughs> any book that makes children realize that they're tools later i'm for <laughs> yeah. for me it was a lot of tool albums but mm. these concepts new to timothy leary motivated him to major in psychology when he enrolled at the university of alabama in 1941 <laughs> when he was 21 years old Uh, Unlike his time at Holy Cross, Timothy really threw himself into his studies because his new goal became writing a book as powerful as Ulysses. Although it wasn't long before our boy Timmy was up to his old ways. And after only a year, he was expelled when the administration found him spending the night in a girl's dorm room. Uh Uh-oh. And the timing couldn't have been worse, because in 1942, we were right in the middle of the Second World War. And it turns out not being in college is a good way to get drafted. But Timothy found a way to make it all work out. Instead of training for combat, he was sent to Pennsylvania to work as an army psychiatrist. It was here that he got to put what he had learned to use and where he met his first wife, Mary Ann Bush. And boy, did she have one. <laughs> Not since Aunt Doodoo has there been a more aptly more coarse and impenetrable than Marianne's Bush. 
<laughs> yeah, it they say like legend a fake name. <laughs> legend has it she was forty eight percent pubic hair. <laughs> Miss Bush. Mm. <laughs> My eyes are up here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know they're covered in pubic hair. <laughs> are those your eyebrows? I don't. I. How is it that tall? She just looks like Pigpen when she walks around, but it's just her bush. <laughs> <laughs> it's just pubic hair. Sorry, I'm done. So after World War II, much like the rest of the country, the new Leary family was riding the high of victory. Timothy, Marianne, and their two children moved to Berkeley, California, where Tim got a doctorate in psychology and then a job as the director of psychiatry at the Kaiser Hospital in Oakland, California. It was during his time in Northern California that Timothy's path revealed itself. While working at the Kaiser Hospital, he noticed that therapy wasn't really working. No matter how many people the hospital saw, their success rate stayed shockingly low in helping people with mental illness. <laughs> shockingly low? <laughs> yeah. That's a terrible at, joke. At, at the time, yeah. This is when Timothy and one of his colleagues, a man named Frank Barron, came up with a hypothesis. Just because you know that something's wrong doesn't mean you'll actually put the work in to fix it. And to prove this, they came up with their first experiment. They took some patients who were undergoing therapy and a second group of patients who were on the months-long waiting list for therapy. And after months of evaluation, they proved their theory to be correct. Both groups had the exact same results. One-third stayed the same, one-third got worse, and one-third felt like things had gotten better, with or without therapy. Didn't matter, the results stayed the same. The Kaiser experiment got Timothy noticed, and then he released his follow-up project, The Interpersonal Diagnostic of Personality. It was hailed as the most important book written about psychotherapy that year. In just 13 years, Timothy Leary had gone from being kicked out of university for fucking to being one of the most respected psychologists in the world. Friends described Timothy as a very, very complicated man. On one hand, he wanted so bad to be like a Springfield Leary. You know, he wanted the big house. He wanted the recognition and the money to live wherever and do whatever he wanted. But on the other hand, his disdain for authority and quote-unquote the norm made him feel like achieving this goal would trap him in a life of mediocrity. And so he poses a question, what kind of a man is only known for his money? And while his professional life had been skyrocketing, his personal life was falling apart. Timothy's hatred of a normal life put a strain on he and Marianne's marriage. Friends of the couple described them as two forces constantly at war. They were both masters of wit, the ego toppling put down, and the almighty roast. Simply said, they were really good at picking out the one thing that made you feel terrible about yourself and coming up with something so funny that everyone else would laugh at you and your pain. That's why you can't have two of those in a relationship. Yeah. It's real tough. <laughs> yeah. Or you gotta like have a no roast rule with your significant other. Yeah. It's a lot. They use their power mostly on each other. Uh, oh, no. Yeah. yeah. To everyone else, it seemed like they were trying to drive each other crazy. And right as Timothy was being praised as the nation's expert on personality assessment and behavior change, 
His wife, Marianne, committed suicide. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She chose to take her own life in Timothy's car on the morning of his 35th birthday. Oh, my God. That is the ultimate roast. But also, <laughs> that's so terrible. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oof. Well, that it, is rough. Yeah, I will say, too, like, this is a tough time for smart women. Yeah. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah, especially because uh, Timothy is... Um, Timothy and Marianne are probably just as smart as each other. Like, I wouldn't say that one is smarter than the other. Maybe one used it a little differently. But for the most part, they were pretty equally matched. And um, I feel like everything that she had that she wanted to do, like she couldn't work on experiments or projects or books or anything that was a risk because she had to support, you know, Timothy. So even though she had a great job, she still had to stay working at that thing to provide for his dream well and there's a lot of sexism at this time and women aren't really respected in the same way men are at this time so it's a lot harder if you are trying to get published or if you are trying to convince someone to work with you or get funding and stuff like that it's harder to do that as a woman especially at this time yeah of course um the death of his wife both emotionally and professionally were a huge blow to Timothy Leary. But in a kind of twisted way, Timothy also saw his wife's death as liberating. He likened it later in his autobiography to how his father lost old man Leary in the dream of a rich future. And what did his father do? He set sail in order to find his own happiness. And so Timothy Leary did just that. Timothy packed up his shit, ran off to Europe, and started traveling from country to country, finding work as a lecturer at any college that would cut him a check. But none of the traveling made him happy. I mean, sure, it had given him a lot of funny stories. He used to tell anyone that would listen about how he bounced checks all over Europe and got into <laughs> all these crazy, weird, like, Scooby-Doo-esque adventures. Like, but it, none of it made him happy. What happened to his kids? Um, there's conflicting stuff. I... It seems like for at least the beginning, he took them with him. Okay. And then it seems like he sent them maybe to live with uh, family uh, when he started bouncing checks all over Europe. Mm. Yeah, Eurotrip isn't as fun if you bring kids along because it's harder to meet up with oh. hot women. You yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. While in Europe, he tried again and again to write his next book, one that he claimed would make him this generation Sigmund Freud. But no matter how hard he tried, it just wasn't any good. Sometimes the harvest needs more time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was at a cafe in Italy that he ran into his former colleague from the Kaiser Hospital, Frank Barron. While Tim's life had been on a gradual downward spiral, his buddy Frank was at the top of his game. And his secret, psychedelic mushrooms. Hey, <laughs> on that psilocybin tip. Hell yeah. Frank, like most people, had learned about shrooms from an article in Time magazine called Seeking the Magic Mushroom by Robert Wasson. While on honeymoon in the Catskill Mountains, a vice president at J.P. Morgan named Robert Wasson and his Russian bride came across some wild psilocybin mushrooms. The newlyweds ate the shrooms and had an amazing time. Afterwards, they talked about how weird it was that something so taboo in America was just commonplace in Russia. His wife talked about how she could just 
find mushrooms anywhere, eat them, and have a great time. And it was just something that you did. Also, it's Russia. So I can't imagine that there's a lot of other good shit going on. The Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia episode on psilocybin mushrooms, uh, where they go to Russia and harvest them, or actually, I believe they're technically in the Ukraine, Mm -hmm. um, but they do make a few stops in Russia where they basically harvest those mushrooms is fascinating. Yeah. Highly recommend. After that, he started trying to ask himself, why was it okay in some cultures, but not in other cultures? Robert's wondering led him to Oaxaca, Mexico, where he became one of the first white people to participate in a Mazatec ritual. The Mazatec believed that psilocybin could be used to talk directly with the gods. And after the ceremony, Robert was inclined to agree. He became the first person to academically describe the effects of a magic mushroom trip. Robert's story fascinated Frank Barron. Robert Wasson, who is somebody that I definitely want to cover in a Speculation Zone episode, went from being the vice president of public relations for J.P. Morgan and company to being the leading proponent of legalizing magic mushrooms and working with the CIA on undercover projects about your using psilocybin. It's a crazy fucking story, and I really hope that we can share it with you. Anyway... Robert's story fascinated Frank Barron. Frank had traveled down to Oaxaca himself and even recreated Robert's well-documented journey. Since then, Frank's career had taken off like wildfire. He had just gotten back from lecturing at Harvard and was on his way to Ireland to interview a famous author. And while Timothy was skeptical of Frank's claims that mushrooms could unlock the secrets within, he wasn't skeptical of the lead Frank gave him about a job. If Frank was trekking across Europe... It meant that there was at least one open position for a lecturer at Harvard University. And with a glowing recommendation from Frank and a handful of academic accomplishments, Timothy easily earned his spot at Harvard. And he was amazing at the job. Colleagues, students, everyone. They just noted how anytime he spoke, he completely held an audience captive and they could all remember everything that he had talked about after the lecture was over. Here is an actual direct quote from one of Timothy's co-workers who had flown combat missions during World War II. Quote, When Timothy arrived, I knew the day he walked in that I'd never met anyone like him. During the war, some people developed a sense, an intuition, of who you would want to fly with and who you wouldn't. Everybody knew it, but nobody could quite describe it. It was some sense of strength, competence, trustworthiness, and loyalty— I'd like to fly with him, guys would say about other guys. I never quite knew what they meant, but when I met Timothy, the only thought that crossed my mind was, I'd fly with him. Hmm. End quote. It was, it was pretty crazy how much he, uh, at least with the students and with the younger coworkers, he immediately just completely fit in. Is The way he talked, the way he moved around, the way he could find a way to make whatever he was teaching relatable to whoever he was teaching it to, the man was just a natural-born lecturer. Unfortunately, there's a lot more to working at Harvard than just being a good teacher. Oh, no. What? Yeah. Really? Weird. You had to learn how to play the game. Timothy hated dressing up every day so that he would appear professional. He despised going to social events with coworkers that he thought of as just a bunch of stuffy, stuck-up old white dudes. 
and every day he feared that he was becoming more and more like them. Yeah, old white dude cosplay is not fun. <laughs> yeah, your nipples get so chafed because that's where your belt is. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and the conventions are a snooze. <laughs> <laughs> All this lecturing meant that he didn't have any time to write his book, the one that he claimed would turn him into the next motherfucker. I mean, Freud, sorry. Very, <laughs> very sorry. But the last thing that he wanted was to fuck his mother. I'm sorry. The last thing he... <laughs> That was the last time. I promise. Should I leave? I don't. <laughs> the last thing that he wanted was to be stuck teaching others that would go on to accomplish the dreams he failed to realize. So he made a choice. He asked for some time off from lecturing. He reached out to his old buddy, Frank Barron. He packed up all his shit one more time, but now he had a clear goal. He was going to Oaxaca, Mexico. He was taking those magic mushrooms and he was going to come up with his next great experiment. And that's where we'll pick up next week with part two of our series on Timothy Leary. Groovy. Yeah. So this is uh, a lot of the story that I've learned from piecing together uh, stories from his book Flashbacks and that book that I mentioned earlier, Storming Heaven. Uh, I, I knew about Timothy Leary. Anyone who gets into psychedelics <laughs> or just into weird shit, yeah, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna know who Timothy Leary is. I mean, like, t- my drug dealer has a tattoo of this man on his back. Like, people who are into psychedelics are really into him. I didn't know any of this shit yeah. prior to this. It's pretty crazy, and it's also really weird how you can see this like. He doesn't want to admit that he hates his father, and yeah. so he tries so hard to become him, but then at a certain point you see that he also realizes that he does hate his father. Mm-hmm. And you also, it, what was really funny to me was uh, you knowing Timothy Leary mm-hmm. and you kind of seeing where he will go. Um, a lot of the book focused early on about how he thought psychedelics were weird and scary <laughs> which is kind of interesting they are they are pretty scary they they could they have the possibility to fuck with you if you're not um going into it knowing what to expect or or if you're predisposed to certain types of mental onsense illness, of mental yeah. illness yes or if you take too many yes mm-hmm. especially if you take too many like four brownies worth <laughs> <laughs> or a whole handful of mushrooms Amanita Muscaria, am I right? Ah. Ah. Uh, man. So, yeah, that that's uh, part one. Part two is going to be a lot of, uh, oh, boy, a lot of crazy <laughs> shit. There's, there's stuff where, like, you've seen a few of it here. Like, when I was like, he was voted cutest boy, where a thing in your brain goes, that's not real. That's that can't be real. That's a lie. Yeah, maybe. And then you find the proof, and it's like, all right, I guess that's what was handsome back then. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's no Jack Parsons. No, just saying. And is <laughs> straight up, I feel that way anytime I see like this is a prime <laughs> specimen of 1920s, and I'm like, why are they all white? Not interested. Thanks. <laughs> I know. I'm pretty sure for Mad Men, they were like, okay, we've got a picture of what it is. Now, how do we make it hotter? Mm. Got it. John Hamm. <laughs> the bigger yeah. the muscles, the hairier the chest. No one had muscles. They had jowls. They had long, they just dra- have the- droopy <laughs> cheeks. And they smoked all the time. And each chin had a swirl on it for some reason. Yeah. Um, when we move into the next episode, the one that comes next week, there's going to be a lot of shit where I'm going to say it and you're going to be like, that's not real. And it <laughs> all is. He's fucking crazy. 
He's done so much crazy shit in his life, which I guess is what happens when you devote it all to LSD and psilocybin. The thing is, though, he sounds like he was pretty crazy before the LSD. So, like, oh yeah, the man has lived a crazy life. He 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 was he lived an absolutely buck wild life. So our episode today, just like every week, is sponsored by uh, Magic Mushrooms. Um, <laughs> Go out, go to your backyard, find mushrooms. Um, I guess I can't put a don't do this thing over this. Just don't follow anything I say. Uh, one of my coworkers grew mushrooms out of a box. So there's this like new thing. I've only seen it show up since coronavirus has been around where they like send you a box full of, I don't know, mold or some shit. And you just like scratch it with a fork and then it grows mushrooms. Interesting. And she did it and it grew like immediately and then she like cooked with them. But I just hate the way they look. Yeah, they're pretty crazy looking. They look like real fucked up alien penises. Yeah. I um, mean, hers were kind of coral looking, but mm-hmm. I feel Sorry. like mushrooms are the original taste the rainbow. <laughs> Ooh. That's pretty good. That's yeah. And I, judging by Skittles commercials, they're on shrooms. They're on shrooms. Yeah, yeah that and the sure. people who make the trolley commercials. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that if you do psychedelics, do them responsibly and probably test your shit a little bit. Um, Have a spotter. Especially if you're in quarantine so that you don't wander outside alone. Yeah. Make sure it's not Andrea because she gets so panicked about little things. Yeah. How how were your shrooms last week? I didn't do shrooms. I realized uh, I kind of can't do them because she freaked out about a bowl of Fruit Loops. Yeah. I uh, the one and last time that I did mushrooms, I uh, couldn't move for like three hours because I did too many. And I just cried a lot. And I later I asked the person, I was like, what happened? What did I say? And they were just like, well, you said you never felt safe. And then you cried because you loved everything. (laughs) (laughs) And that's where she came up with the idea for her podcast. Actually, yes. (laughs) I mean, I'm good. Yeah. I think I think I'll just stick with my bread. When I was on shrooms, uh, we trapped the ghost of Robin Williams. Oh, first of all, we summoned the ghost of Robin Williams. Oh, cool, 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 um, cool, 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 to a party. Cool. And Did then he show up as the genie? We didn't see him. Oh. We didn't actually see him. We just felt him uh, inside cool, cool. of all of us. Weird. And we trapped him in an empty Heineken bottle. And then somebody asked us uh, what we were doing, and we told them. And it turns out that he personally knew and worked with Robin Williams. Ooh, no. And was very upset. But me and Tony Bartoloni, who were tripping on shrooms, were looking at each other like, I don't get it. You can't process anger. You can, when you see other people get angry and you're on shrooms, you're just like, oh, well there, bud. You've got some stuff and I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'm over here. I'm feeling pretty pretty green right now. And you're over there looking like a rectangle. You need to square it down, buddy. <laughs> yeah. You need to circle up. The scariest part about mushrooms is that I couldn't read anything. So like I oh, kept it's like a dream. Yeah, I kept trying to like read my phone, but I couldn't make sense of the letters or the numbers like and everything was really scary. And so I wanted to call for help, but I couldn't figure out how. Yeah. We'll, yeah, no, I'm good. We'll get into the things that Timothy Leary made people do on psychedelics. It's not great. It's not. It's very scary, and I couldn't imagine it. I was in a very good... Every time I've done psychedelics, I've been in a really good headspace. I've been in a really good place, with the exception of that one guy and Robin Williams' ghost. But other than that, it, it's been pretty great, and I liked it a lot. Um, Our friend Billy, though, our friend Billy Anderson has a, has a fun bit about eating an entire bag of mushrooms 
Don't then, do it. And then he says, yeah, uh, that's not the recommended dose of mushrooms. <laughs> it turns out the recommended dose of mushrooms is no mushrooms. <laughs> and that is pretty accurate. If you're not, if I mean, it's I'm not, not a huge the, mushroom fan, even just in foods. Yeah. So I'm good. I like the taste, but not the texture. I like the umami, but I just want, yeah. I just want the trip. Like a mushroom duxel, I'm okay with because mm. I'm not having to chew through the kind of foamy texture of the mushrooms. But it does provide that very earthy umami flavor. Mm, mm, mm. We're also sponsored by our wonderful Patreon donor. Uh, we have a Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash cult podcast. You can go there for just $5 a month. You get access to our bonus show, The Speculation Zone. Woohoo! You can also check out the other tiers we have. There's a bunch of really great stuff there. Um, it's a very fun time. Um, I'm going to say if you want to send me not drugs. Don't, don't send, don't drugs. send him yeah, drugs. Don't Please send don't me send, drugs. No, don't send How him about, any send me drugs. Not drugs. You could send him one of the boxes where you can grow food mushrooms just so he can watch it happen. Oh, I don't want that. Okay. I don't either. They look weird. I yeah. Anyway, if you want to send me not drugs, uh, you can do so on Instagram and Twitter at Mondo Does Stuff. And if you think you can send drugs through Twitter, then you're on drugs. <laughs> so that kind of <laughs> works itself out. You sound like the same kind of person who thinks you can get a virus from the 5G <laughs> that makes your phone work. But good for you. Oh, my oh God. Then we live in such a stupid fucking world. Sometimes it really does blow my mind where I'm just like, how do you, are you guys doing a bit? Is 50% of America just in on a joke and they're not telling us? Well, the thing that I keep seeing is so-and-so denounces the virus as not being real. And then the screenshot of a month later of when them they die. super yeah. dead. Yes. Whoever so invent- take this seriously. Whoever composed the theme to Curb Your Enthusiasm is fucking rolling in money these days. <laughs> I assume that's how royalties work. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's those are my Instagrams and my Twitters. And uh, send me not drugs. Don't send him drugs. Don't send him drugs. Uh, hey, guys. If you want to head on over to my Instagram, at Andrea Gazetta, I have some fun stuff going on. I'm doing projects. I've been doing giveaways. I might put up some coloring sheets. We'll see what's good. Uh, come hang out. Make art with me. Also, please check out the Cult Podcraft, P-O-D-C-R-A-F-T Facebook page. Um, We have some people making masks in that page, sharing patterns, people crocheting. Just let us know what you're up to in the quarantine times. Yeah, it's it's, um, another great reason to join is because uh, it is... It is night and day having something to do versus not having something to do in quarantine times. Um, where like I've had a couple days where I had nothing on the docket and then I'm like, <laughs> it's 7 p.m. I'm still in my underwear. I haven't done a thing. So uh, crafting or keeping yourself busy, great thing to do to help uh, keep your mind away from the Robin Williams ghosts of the world. Yeah, Armando and I have been quarantined in a studio apartment together and we have wildly different sleep schedules, but we still have not killed each other and I attribute it to crafting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, my my Instagram used to chronicle things like my comedy career and now it's just breads. Um, <laughs> but if you want to follow my carbpocalypse journey, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Rampage Wesley or on Twitter, which I don't post to as often at Page Wesley. Um, 
I keep asking people what kinds of breads to make and what their favorite dips are. Oh, I found out. Okay, so somebody recommended a cob loaf mm-hmm. as a bread, and I was like, the fuck is a cob loaf? And then thank you to some of our Australian listeners and some of our listeners from New Zealand who messaged me to tell me that it's basically just a baked dip in a bread bowl. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. That sounds great. That's amazing. Yeah, we have a family recipe that my sister refers to as the man catcher. Oh. it's, It's the most delicious thing on earth. I could eat a whole bread bowl of it by myself. Did they like did they like fix the recipe for America? Like, you know, put it into the the um did they fix the measurements and stuff? The one I have is just like can of this, jar of this, dump them together, and it's super easy. Because I have a recipe right here for cob bread, and then it says you're gonna need uh, bread flour, salt, water, yeast, uh, five huntsman spiders. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, for I, the legs. I found it. You don't actually need them to make the bread, but you have to kill five of them to to be able to successfully <laughs> get to do the it. store. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Quick update question. How did your fairies escape their bread? Was oh, yeah. it good? You know, okay. So we, we had one that didn't turn out um, because mm. I was dumb. And, you kept the fairies trapped. And No, I let the fairies go, but I measured the buttermilk wrong. Um, that's my bad. The second time we tried, it did turn out, but it was a very dense bread, almost like if a biscuit was a bread. Mm. And I feel like it could potentially be improved, so I might take another run at it. On a scale from biscuit to Donald Trump, how dense was it? Oh man, it's like a Betsy DeVos, but like <laughs> <clears throat> it's pretty pretty dense. And we, I think, part of it was we also put uh, aged Irish cheddar into it, mm-hmm. so the flavor was great. It just was very like chewy, um, and I'm not sure if it's because we overworked it or if that's just kind of the natural texture. So. Interesting. Again, bread mm. makes no sense to me. So you are a witch. Thank you. Um, if you like our show, you can burn Paige Wesley. Uh, what? Yeah, burn her. Burn just her. Just make sure to heat your pizza stone up with the oven before you burn me. Yes. And when you burn her, you got to make sure to cut a few holes so the fairies can escape. So the fairies come out. <laughs> Um, if you like the show, you can follow us on Instagram at Colt Podcast. Or on Twitter at Colt Podcast Show. You can also send us an email to ColtPodcastShow at gmail.com. Or if you want to send us uh, spiders for our bread making. No. Don't, don't do that. Don't. 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 And if you want to send us not drugs. Don't send us drugs. If you want to send us extra fairies because that's what our bread was missing, mm, mm, you could mm. send those to... 3756 West Avenue 40, Sweet K, number 237. Like, like the, the Shining. Shining. Los Angeles, California, 90065. Um, yeah, and if you want to learn more about the show, you can go to coltpodcastshow.com. And I think for this one, I'm going to say don't drink anything that Timothy Leary hands you. No, never. And don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye. Want to do some shrooms? No, I'm good. Rainbows. <laughs>